Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Florida's rapidly expanding population and headline-grabbing politics is raising our state's profile. We're exploring what this rapid change means with a series of shows we're calling Our Changing State. In an online survey and during our reporting over the past couple of months, we've asked you, our neighbours across the Tampa Bay region, to tell us what you think about issues connected to our booming population. Everyday things like transportation, the economy, housing and the environment, and the politics and culture which shape our lives. Your questions about the issues are driving the conversation over the next few weeks. We're also bringing you the voices of Tampa Bay area residents who reflect on their experience of how the state is changing. Today, we're focused on the environment. Wild lands and wildlife are a big part of what Floridians, both new arrivals and people who've been here for generations, love about the state. But all these people are squeezing in alongside the natural environment. Florida's population grew by more than 400,000 people between 2021 and 2022. That's more than the entire population of the city of Tampa. Florida also faces a tough challenge, how to preserve the natural environment while welcoming tourists that help power our economy. And through development or climate change, wild places are transforming and in some cases disappearing. 52-year-old Christopher Powell was born and raised in Florida and now lives in Tarpon Springs with his backyard dipping into St. Joseph's Sound on the Gulf of Mexico. Here he is talking with WUSF's Jessica Mazaros on his boat at Three Rooker Island, a couple miles away from his home. Why did you want to come to this area in particular? What does this place mean to you? Uh, everything, you know, it's just childhood memories. My earliest memories were on the, the North Bar over here. I was three years old, I can remember coming out and the, the white sands being so bright I couldn't see, you know, I was a little baby, you know, and didn't have sunglasses and I uh, just remember just, just loving it, but I couldn't open my eyes very much. <laughs> it's so bright and beautiful. Why do you think that stood out to you so much? I think I'm a, you know, aficionado of the, the natural beauty of this area. You know, it's not the Keys, it's similar, but the Keys have their own beauty. Miami has its own beauty and this is home. This is my, my home. Can you describe for listeners who can't see what it is that we're looking at? What is what does your home look like? I like to say my church. This is my church. Depending on the time of year, you know, early spring, May is my favorite time. Just getting out of that before it gets too hot. And you can see the water, just emerald green, beautiful. Uh, birds everywhere. Fish everywhere. Stingrays. There's not a day I haven't been out here I haven't seen something different. So what changes physically have you noticed of this area? Well, when I was a kid, I don't remember there being very many trees. We didn't really go this far south. We were always up on the north point over here, that one right there. And uh, it didn't have anything but some, you know, some bushes on it. And uh, it grew up trees, they connected, and now it's being dismantled. How so? Can you describe what we're looking at? Because um, the way I would describe it is it kind of looks like patchy, like there's patches of trees and then there's sandbar and mm. then there's water. Um, so it's kind of looks broken up. But you're saying this was all connected for this about a mile? All connected. Back in 2015, I was sitting on the dock and 
looked and there was a big hole in the trees and I was like, whoa, out of nowhere, there was a, you know, significant gap, you know, day after day, month after month, year after year, it just slowly peeled apart to where you see it now. It's, it's a mile apart. It's just a little, you know, disheartening to, to watch it. What activity have you noticed change here too, not just the moving of the trees that they moved away? What else have you noticed in terms of like p- more people coming through? Oh, it's, it's insane here on the weekends. Um, scallop season last year at the mouth of the Anclote River is where they were finding them. Uh, there must have been 1,000 to 2,000 boats. I never saw anything like that, not even in Homosassa because it was more concentrated. But, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're a tourist state. So that's what they're there for. You know, hopefully the science keeps it regulated in the, in the right direction as we uh, go further. With the global warming certainly not helping this bar and the, all the boat traffic, what are you going to do? People like to play in the sun. Um, and the amount of people that you're seeing uh, more so on the weekends and things, has it shifted how you come to your home and your church? Yeah, I try to avoid going around the island, uh, you know, or I'll get out there early in the morning and try to catch something. And uh, once they start moving in on me about 10 o'clock, it's time to get off the island and go somewhere else because it's it's not really my cup of tea every day. I have done it, you know, come out here and partied with people, but it's... It's not why you come here. It's not why I really come here anymore, yeah. What is it that you seek when you come here? The beauty of it all. You know, my eye, it's eye candy for me. I mean, it's the best, you know. We don't have mountains here. I love mountains too, but we have this. And do you talk to your daughters about um, what it used to be like and the changes that you've seen? All the time. All the time they get sick of hearing it, I'm sure. (laughs) Stop living in the past, Dad. When you're out here kind of in the silence, do you think about the future of this place for your children? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think about, well... Where I live is 30 years, the water's going to be 15 inches higher. Uh, can I live there? You know, <laughs> What's it going to be like when I have a little storm go through? Not just a hurricane, these little storms. You know, I've had it, you know, quite a bit of flooding in the backyard at times. That's you know, big cleanup, but it's never come in the house. But certainly, uh, every year it gets a little higher and higher, and hopefully it's, it's not a runaway train worse than what the, the scientists think it's going to be. And that was Tarpon Springs resident Christopher Powell talking with WUSF's Jessica Mazaros at Three Rooker Island. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're exploring how Florida is changing rapidly and what that means for the people who live here in a series we're calling Our Changing State. Today we're focused on the environment. After the break, we'll continue asking the questions you pose for our expert panel, wildlife photographer Carlton Ward Jr. and Pinellas County Government Sustainability and Resiliency Coordinator Hank Hoddy. Welcome back to Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. We're exploring how Florida is changing rapidly and what that means for the people who live here in a series we're calling Our Changing State. In the course of our reporting over the past several months, we asked you, our neighbours across the Tampa Bay region, to weigh in on the issues. Today we're putting your questions on the environment to our expert guests, Tampa nature photographer and environmental advocate Carlton Ward Jr. and Hank Hoddy, the Sustainability and Resiliency Administrator at Pinellas County Government. Carlton, thanks so much for being here. Pleasure. Hank, thank you as well. Of course, glad to be here. 
So for the next several weeks, Florida Matters is sounding a bit different. We've asked members of the community what they wanted to know about our rapidly changing state of Florida. And I have the pleasure of asking questions on behalf of the community. Some common themes around environmental change include concerns about growth and development, the need to preserve wild lands and protect native plants and animals, and declining water quality. Quite a few people who responded to our survey talked about how to accommodate the influx of new Floridians without building over the natural environment. And a lot of the comments and questions from the community speak to the tension between old and new Florida. I want to ask you both, uh, for a start, how long you've been in Florida and how you've observed that tension between old and new Florida evolve in the course of your own lives. Uh, Hank, what, what do you think? Sure, yeah. So I was born and raised on the east coast of Florida in, in Jensen Beach, uh, just outside Stewart in Martin County. And I got to grow up as a old Florida boy, so to speak. Uh, in the in the 80s and 90s, and got to really enjoy a flourishing environment and ecosystem. Fished and surfed and played in the water, and um, but was also cognizant of hazards and threats around me. You know, at the time, mainly hurricanes. I took a 10-year hiatus from Florida and uh, lived outside the state for a little bit, but now you know I'm back here on the on the West Coast and and loving it. And so, so yeah, I got to grow up here and see the differences between um, you know that time and now and you know, and just trying to do what's right for it. Mm-hmm. Carlton, what about yourself? I grew up in Clearwater, so those those scenes from that intro soundbite out at Three Rooker Bar, that was um, our stomping grounds where I kind of fell in love with nature as a kid. Um, my family's been in Florida for eight generations, um, seen a lot of change in my own lifetime, but seen a tremendous amount of change through the eyes of my parents and grandparents. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to our audience questions, but first, let's get back to that interview. We just listened to our reporter Jessica Mazzaro's conversation with Christopher Powell on his boat at Three Rooker Island. Carlton, we heard Christopher describing the island gradually disappearing as the sea encroaches. I mean, what does this tell you? What picture does it paint about the challenges facing Florida's coastal communities and the environment in and around the water? It's telling. I I look at those islands as an alarm call, but also a hope because those are the few last remnants of wild Pinellas County. You know, at least when I was growing up, Pinellas was the most densely populated county in the eastern United States or in the southeast. Um, and the only place you could see a remnant of what used to be mm-hmm. was to go out to Caladesi Island, Three Roker, Honeymoon, and Cloak Key. That was, that was it. You know, a few scattered orange groves throughout the highlands, but it, it's built out wall to wall. And, you know, those, those are the pieces that remain. Mm-hmm. Hank, Christopher talked about flooding during storms, talking about how his house hasn't been flooded yet, but he gets the water in his backyard. But, I mean, this kind of goes to your work, I think, with resiliency. And I'm wondering what that looks like as we think about sea level rise in the face of powerful storms as well. Yeah, and, you know, the interesting point about, you know, Three Rooker and those islands, I go out there a lot, and I I didn't have that 2015 viewpoint. Um, And so it was good to hear that. And those natural systems are supposed to protect us from flooding, mm-hmm. uh, from storms. That's why they're called barrier islands. That's why they're called barrier islands. Yeah. Um, they are a, literally a barrier, um, and they're, they're meant to move and shift, and uh, we're in the way of that, that natural evolution of those islands. Mm-hmm. You know, regarding uh, existing flooding and future flooding, you know, we're, we are seeing it now. We're seeing areas that are being inundated with, with tidal flooding. And it may just, you know, look like water in the streets and you drive through it. It's just a couple in- inches, but it's covering infrastructure. 
Um, it's covering uh, manholes. It's uh, it's covering the road embankment system. It's covering the uh, stormwater system, and we you know we see it as the canary in the coal mine for the future. You know regarding um, inundation and 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 what's gonna what's gonna come. So we're trying to evaluate that right now from a resiliency standpoint, a sustainability standpoint, a development and infrastructure standpoint mm-hmm. to make some predictions about where to go with that infrastructure in the future as well as what we can do for our residents. Yeah. Floridians are rightly proud of their beaches and they're a big part of the tourism economy here, but tourism and climate change also bring challenges. Here's a comment from M. Vaughan from Monroe County who writes, water quality and pollution of the beaches and ocean. Single-use plastics are a problem. Bags, bottles, containers, not straws. Carlton, I wonder what you think about that. I mean, what are some of the things that keep you up at night when you reflect on challenges and changes to the environment and specifically when it comes to our beaches and coastal communities? You know, I, I kind of, I might have a, a different view on Florida because I've spent the past 15 years advocating for a wildlife corridor through the middle part of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, the beaches are all connected to it, but I've started been to look at the state from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And, you know, a lot of our problems on the coast have to do with overdevelopment in places where they might not be compatible or sustainable, but other of those problems are caused by development or issues upstream. Florida is in a unique situation, I think, among a lot of neighboring states that most of our river systems, most of our watersheds originate here within the Florida Peninsula. So we can't, aside from maybe the Apalachicola or some rivers in the Panhandle, we can't point the finger at another state for our water problems. You know, the Everglades originates in in Orlando and the headwaters in Central Florida. The St. John's River originates mm-hmm. in Central Florida. And so coastal pollution, watershed pollution, estuary pollution, it's from things that we are causing by not being sustainable enough in our practices. So it's, it's kind of a wake-up call. And I, I look at the way the health of the estuaries, the health of the beach, everything is downstream from what we do on land. And so the more we can do to preserve intact, connected green space in the headwaters of these watersheds. I'll give one more example. Mm-hmm. On the east coast of Florida, Indian River Lagoon is, is suffering yeah. massive seagrass die-offs. We're starting to see some of that again in Tampa Bay. A lot of that's from overdevelopment and too much nutrient going into those watersheds come over to the west on the nature coast north of Tampa, seagrasses are thriving. Manatees are thriving. A big reason for that is the headwaters of those rivers are still relatively intact. The Suwannee River, the Withlacoochee, the Steenhatchee, Mm -hmm. they're flowing clear and pure still, at least comparative to other impacted parts of the state. And it's kind of a tale of, of, of two paths. And we, we need to restore the places that are impacted, but we need to preserve the places that still have that whole ecosystem functioning together. Mm-hmm. Residents of the greater Tampa Bay region who got in touch with us for this series have lots of opinions about the impact of infrastructure on the environment. Here's Patrice Matz from Northport, who says, we need to leave land for the wildlife and stop fertilizer use on grass, stop growing grass everywhere and use hardscape native plants without pesticides. Chemicals are sprayed too freely on everything. We need to embrace more natural environments for the sake of our waters, people, and bees, butterflies, and wildlife. Carlton, I mean, what changes are you seeing? You talked a little bit about this, but 
what else are you seeing in terms of um, the natural environment kind of bumping up against development? Well, it's, I mean, the front lines of that battle are everywhere. I mean, we, we are starting to invest in urban infrastructure and build up in places like St. Pete and Tampa and Orlando, but we're also still building out at a rapid pace. So you go north of Tampa, you go to the periphery of Orlando, you can see farms and ranches and orange groves turning to rooftops. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, there's, there's, the, the orange groves are fewer and fewer, right? They're on high, dry, sandy soil oftentimes, and, and they are disappearing as fast as you can see them. And the, there, there are all sorts of scales to focus on conservation. Like within the bounds of Pinellas County, there's so much work to be done for conservation. Within the context of the entire state, I'm trying to get out ahead of those front lines. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get to the 20,000-acre cattle ranch or the, or the timber farm where that landowner is still open to an alternative to development, looking for ways to keep farming, to keep ranching, to keep the space green. And mm. that's one of our biggest opportunities. It's one of the successes we've seen with the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act in 2021, which um, my team at WildPath and our partners were, were helpful in advocating for there is a recognition that investing in these large connected green spaces is not just good for wildlife, but it's the infrastructure that all of our built environments rely on. It's it's a source of our water. It's a source of our food. It's a source of our clean air. Mm-hmm. And you know, within within a larger context, thankfully, because of the 10 million acres of public land and the 8 million acres of working lands and just within the Florida Wildlife Corridor, there is enough space that we can keep growing and keep conserving. But we've got to be really intentional and make those serious investments and treat it like infrastructure because without those green spaces, without those natural systems, nothing else is sustainable. Mm. Hank, I wanted to ask you too, I mean, what about fertilizers, which uh, our listener mentioned, um, what can and can't local governments do when it comes to regulating that kind of thing? Well, Pinellas County pioneered a fertilizer ordinance in the state of Florida, and uh, many municipalities uh, and jurisdictions really jumped on board with that to uh, ban fertilizer in the summer months during the wet season. And so that's one thing that we have done mm-hmm. um, and others others can do, barring legislation and, and, and other rules and regulations above us uh, that may come down the pipeline. Um, we try to also provide a uh, a leadership role and lead by example in our everyday best practices on our own parks and preserves and land. Mm-hmm. And we're actually using better types of fertilizers, um, removing, you know, the harmful um, carcinogens and things like that and, and trying to be as natural as possible. Um, so those are things that we're doing um, internally within our practices. And, um, you know, also we're you know, we're, we're being mindful of invasive species and, and you know, trying to uh, conserve and preserve the, the land as much as possible from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. So we don't then need to use any harmful fertili- fertilizers. Right. So that's that's kind of what we're doing right now. Let's get a comment in from Deb Hankinson from Leesburg, who writes, polluted waterways, crumbling and poorly maintained infrastructure, roads, power, sewer, water, leave folks without power and clean running water regularly before we have a serious natural disaster. Hank, I'm just kind of thinking about the resiliency picture and how do you build a resilient community so that people aren't dealing with some of those challenges 
even when there isn't a hurricane to face, for example? The tough part is the community is already there. So we're trying to embed resiliency within the infrastructure mm-hmm. that exists um, and, and build the capacity to deal with shocks and stresses. And now we have a multitude of them. You know, in the past, it may have just been hurricanes, and that was, you know, the resilience lens. But now we have housing issues. We have insurance issues. We have just uh, general affordability issues. Um, you know, electricity is, is increasing. And so now we have to think about not just hardening our infrastructure, but hardening our homes, hardening the grid. Mm. Um, yeah, it, people must have been, I mean, just the last month or so, like running their AC nonstop, right? So that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. And um, it's it's getting hotter and hotter, and, and the infrastructure is aging, and it's in, in the same light with flooding. It's getting wetter, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and the infrastructure is aging. Uh, so we're trying to keep up, keep up with that, and that, so that's the the actual build part is to create um, stronger, uh, more resilient infrastructure when we do maintenance or we do replacements of um, you know anything from a, a small pump to a big bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, those are things that we are actively working on. A lot of communities are working on in, in Florida and in, in, in general, as well as set good policies and guidelines where applicable for. Um, the private component of a community, which is, um, you know, the residents and businesses and all that, all the private infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Here's a comment from Sarah in Safety Harbour who says, traffic is endangering air quality and is also worried about lack of permeable services. She writes, we're not taking our impact to the environment into account. As we continue to build more subdivisions and destroy more ecosystems, this will have current and future impacts. As examples, how two lanes of Hillsborough Avenue flood with heavy rain, the extensive runoff we have, should be water going back underground but can't because of all the concrete and asphalt we have. I also wanted to play a little bit of tape from a conversation that I have with Paul Plaud. Now, he's lived in the Tampa Bay region for all of his 30 years. He works as a mosquito control inspector. Paul spent a lot of time on the road for his job, and he talked about some of the things he's noticed over the years, like dwindling number of bugs hitting his windshield, for example, or wetlands being transformed into subdivisions. So I met him at a pedestrian bridge near the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa, just across from the USF campus. Let's just take a listen. I mean, literally, it was a few months ago, probably four or five months ago, there was a swamp I was checking for work for mosquitoes. It was a regular spot, and then just out of nowhere, uh, it was all bulldozed, and it looks like they're trying to build it up, and that's happened many places over Hillsborough County, and when I worked in Pinellas County, I also noticed that trend. And I mean, I know there's mitigation efforts going on. They restore a wetland somewhere else while they destroy what they feel like they need to destroy, but... I know it's not just me. I also see it on social media. It it affects people emotionally. They feel attached to the to their landscapes they live near, you know. Because once it's gone, it's gone. And I feel like if we waited maybe a, another decade or two, we could figure out how to minimize these impacts through certain uh, innovations. Like if we had more porous pavement, environmentally friendly gardening, just overall be more friendly toward pollinators and the aquifer. Carlton, I wonder what you think about that emotional connection people feel to Florida's wild places and, and kind of what the sense of urgency is about preserving them. Whether you've lived here for a year or, or your whole life, people do have a connection to nature here. And it's because nature is resilient. And you don't have to have experienced millions of acres of wild places like I have through my career. You can see the egret and the heron hunting in the retention pond or mm-hmm. in the mitigation wetland across from where you live, and, and you still feel a connection. Back in 2014, there was a constitutional amendment to 
invest money in land conservation, and 75% of the voting public voted to self-assess more taxes for land conservation. That That's just an example. And then, you know, in, in 2021, I mentioned, we had unanimous bipartisan support by the Florida legislature for the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act. So it is something that can unify us. It's also a challenge because a lot of these wild places are hidden in plain sight mm-hmm. to our to the people who live here. Like you know, here in Tampa, how many of us have a have a visual image of the Green Swamp, which is not that far to the north, and it's the source of major rivers and lots of the drinking water. Um, it's because it's not those mountain ranges. It's not that big escarpment that you see from a distance. Mm. But you've got to get into it to experience it. You got to get into it. You got to get up above it. I mean, that's that's been my calling as a photographer is to try to capture the beauty of these places and bring those stories back to people to help foster or strengthen those connections, or or take that connection that already exists for the nature that they see and put it in context hmm. with this connected landscape that's still out there. Some of it's kind of uncomfortable too, right? I mean, it's it's not always uh, like a. Sometimes it can be a bit of an unpleasant experience just getting into nature in Florida because the heat, the humidity, the things, the critters can, that can attack you. So you've got to get through that to appreciate some of the beauty, right? You have to pick the time of year. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I, I love being out there in the summer because it's when these places come to life with the mm-hmm. storms and the humidity. It's, it's, it's like being in a rainforest. But there is you know, certain, certain images to get past. Like the swamp is not a dark and scary place. The swamp is a beautiful and vibrant place. Is there anything that I didn't ask either of you that you wanted to mention? I think that, um, you know, from my perspective right now uh, in, in a resiliency standpoint in, in, in infrastructure, um, I will say that there's some really great momentum at the state level. I, I have to give them credit there for the Resilient Florida program and the funding that's coming down for vulnerability assessments for future climate impacts uh, and and current day impacts, as well as not only having money for planning, but then having money for um, infrastructure upgrades. And then there's also a lot of momentum at the federal level um, through the various um, acts and laws that have been uh, and appropriations that have been provided for communities to have an opportunity to grab a hold of some funding to to build resilient and sustainable infrastructure or or plan for it, and we're trying our best right now to seize the opportunity and take advantage of that, um, and you know hopefully that you know shows its face in, in a positive way in, in the communities in the days to come. Colton, I'll reiterate that. I mean, I'm 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 thankful to be part of this conversation, and I'm thankful to hear the passion of the different listeners whose voices you shared it it gives me hope from what i see this is the decisive decade you know like what we do now is going to decide the future of florida and it's going to determine whether we still have big animals like bears and panthers traveling through the interior it's going to determine whether the migratory species landing on barrier islands on their trips to the south american back still have a place it's going to determine whether our water is still clear for the fish and abundant enough to drink. I mean, it's, it, this, is, this is a serious, dire time because all these forces are compacted all at once. Um, and and in, that, in that way, Florida is a microcosm and a testing grounds for like balance on this whole planet. But if we can do it here, as we're starting to do, we can do it anywhere. 
I've been speaking with Tampa nature photographer and environmental advocate Carlton Ward Jr. Carlton, thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And Hank Hoddy, Sustainability and Resiliency Administrator at Pinellas County Government. Hank, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure. And that's our show for this week. Find more details about our Changing State series, including photos of the people we are meeting and visiting with across the Tampa Bay region, on our website, wusfnews.org. Next week, we're examining the changing state of transportation in Florida. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Look for Florida Matters. Our producer is Denora Prevost. The reporter for this episode is Jessica Mazaros. We also received support for this week's episode from engineer Jackson Harp, digital editor Carl Lishandrello, and news director Mary Shedden. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.